You're listening to BuddhistGeeks.com. June 4th, 2007. Episode 22, The Dualistic Conundrum, Insight Meditation and Primordial Awareness. In this episode with Insight Meditation teacher John Travis, he discusses both how the gradual and sudden schools of enlightenment fit in with the practice of Vipassana meditation. Find out how this teacher has resolved this paradox in his own teaching and practice. This is part two of a three-part series. If you enjoy Buddhist Geeks podcasts, please consider supporting us through either a recurring monthly donation or a one-time donation in amount of your choice. To do so, please visit www.buddhistgeeks.com forward slash donate. We thank you for your support. With regards to the insight meditation movement, which is this sort sort of fledgling kind of thing that, that seems different than um, some of the other um, Buddhist activity that's happening in America, do you find that there's a little bit more of an emphasis on the you know incorporating the world or bringing um, including the world, whereas some of the, some of the earlier Theravada there does seem to be a little bit of a pushing away or. Yes, I think it's one of the most, uh, it's the unique change that's come. Uh, bringing the Dharma to the West, uh, I have to say that, you know, when I started out, I was a little bit on the more rigid side of things in the sense that uh, I, I felt that the monks should be the only ones teaching and and that uh, the tradition was based on uh, complete renunciation and, uh, you know, non-attachment to the sensual world on some level. And I see today that um, we have not, uh, we see that as something that's certainly something we need to understand and know about. But there is a middle way, and that middle way uh, has been the fact that we, uh, this culture is probably not going to be a great monastic culture. So how do we bring this intelligence into the world? And the intelligence has to do with the type of discrimination that understands um, the nature of attachment. It's not saying just get rid of it, but understand its nature. And that we have, uh, as a community, have been very much in looking at the, uh, not only at from the universal, but also the psychological. That uh, how, how can we be free? And freedom is not necessarily uh, complete uh, abandonment or cessation in that way, that it is a, a, in a sense, progressive process, but it is a slow untangling that happens. And you can't, Ramdas, you say, you can't skip a trip. And in a sense, I think culturally, we have to take this from a very um, narcissistic um, view in some ways and untangle that piece by piece. And that's what I feel in some ways we're trying to teach, too, that it's not all or nothing. It's, it's an un, you know, a slow untangling so that we really have discernment, and yet we don't deny everything due to that. And what's interesting is you mentioned the, that slow untangling. At the same time, Jack Cornfield and, and several of the teachers that, that you were teaching with at Spirit Rock, they also seem to, to really point to or emphasize um, some aspect of freedom which is always available or always present. Right. Uh, and I, I found that so uh, 
helpful, and at the same time, at times it was very confusing because I heard both being said. Well, both are said, and there's you can say there's, um, and and I'll just try to describe as best I can in the sense of of um, what you could co- call momentary uh, cessation or nibbana or. Uh, freedom, and then uh, the, in a sense, a more classical term of it, the kind of sudden enlightenment school. And in a sense, I hope that we're holding both of these pieces. It's a progressive process of waking up, and that uh, it can come, you know, sort of karmically at any moment. But if we're just stuck on that, then it's simply about the striving and the denying of what's right here. And what's, I believe, more true is that uh, that kind of effort is what gets us to the cushion. But once we're on the cushion, that's no longer helpful. And what is helpful is actually recognizing that uh, we're not separate from freedom and that freedom is something that we actually choose moment to moment and that that freedom then begins to inform us on how to be, in a sense, and that uh, it could be the result of that moment to moment could be kind of the Big Bang Theory uh, or the idea of sudden enlightenment or whatever, which is true and very much part of this path. But it's not where we put the emphasis. Uh, the emphasis, uh, that, that is, in a sense, was the inspiration. You know, there's so many of the Zen stories of the sudden enlightenment and how we have this idea, well, then... Then, then we'll be okay. Instead of really saying, well, right now, uh, I am choosing uh, freedom, uh, moment to moment, and that it's uh, something that begins to build on itself. And that's really what we're trying to encourage, is, is that choosing. And, and that that choosing uh, isn't, uh, it isn't a carrot out there that we're uh, leaning out of where we are towards, but actually we're beginning to own completely where we are, and that that is a reflection of uh, these teachings. Hmm. Is that similar to um, when you talked about sort of the path being about going from becoming, going from unconscious to self-conscious, and then somehow that that's not even a stopping point, that it's all about just becoming conscious. Just being conscious, you know, this kind of... In a sense, I, I like this word primordial awareness, that somehow when the mind turns itself towards itself and it realizes that, you know, it's not actually, uh, that any splitting off is kind of a dualistic conundrum, but there is uh, the mind turning towards itself and being able to simply uh, rest from moment to moment, uh, in a sense, in, in its own truth. And so... Our ability to do that, sometimes, yes, it's true that sometimes uh, our, the, the mindfulness, in a sense, uh, too much attachment to it in some way of holding the self-consciousness, uh, the watcher, uh, interferes with that primordial awareness. And so, in a sense, we have to almost loosen up even the mindfulness in the sense of being uh, so vigilant in some ways. And there has to be a, really a complete relaxation of the objects of awareness. And then what is it that holds it? What is it that's, uh, I can't say underneath, above, or behind, or it, it just simply uh, exists. And, and that 
there's a sense of almost uh, a freedom, a luminosity in that uh, primordial awareness you know, that that uh, is non-dualistic. It's simply uh, a reflection or uh, the actual state of freedom in some ways. You know? And it's not what we imagine because somehow we've imagined that there's something fantastic about it that is so different than who we are or what we've experienced. And from this viewpoint, it's actually not that at all. It's actually extremely, um, in a sense, ordinary, uh, that it's simply the releasing uh, of, in a sense, the need to know, the need to, for it to be anything uh, but this primordial awareness. Hmm. Do you, we can, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask, while you were describing that, um, just reflecting on my own process and kind of thinking that this might be this similar for a lot of people, is that that need to know somehow becomes more subtle uh, as one continues to practice, that it, it becomes uh, more and more subtle and it becomes more and more uh, tricky to, to notice it or to, like, uh, to release it. Um, yeah. Is that, do most people find that as they're practicing? Well, I think, again, going from the gross to the subtle, that um, as uh, one of the, the unique qualities uh, of uh, people who kind of change their religion and, and, and are, uh, go out seeking are that the seeker has a lot, of, um, a, a lot of invested in the power of investigation, okay? So in that, if, again, in the seven factors of enlightenment, I don't know, in the sense of the rousing and the stabilizing factors, that is an arousing factor. It really brings um, energy to the system. The problem is if there's too much of the investigation, it also brings a sense of anxiousness because it doesn't, it's not balanced. And so the subtlety of that is that we get so habituated to being the seeker that somehow that's what's informed us about how things are so we begin to put our identity into that as who we are. And then that becomes a hindrance. So it's what gets us to the cushion, but then it becomes a hindrance. That's right. Because again, uh, the quality of um, the subtle, sometimes the subtleness of this is not enough. There's got to be something bigger than this. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there's a, that's a dualistic quality mm -hmm. that, that uh, in a sense, keeps fueling the seeker and not freedom. Yeah, it's interesting. So I imagine people listening to this, they wonder, well, why would I meditate? Some of them might ask, why would I meditate? Why would I go on retreats if, I, if it's not about you know, getting somewhere or getting something? Well, um, again, you, I can talk this way because in a sense, there is, there's the ordinariness, there is no real practice from that point of view, mm. from awakening. But from where we are, which is mostly we're talking about ignorance, uh, and ignorance is, is based on the kind of this desire and, uh, and aversiveness that uh, is created all the time in us. And that we have to learn how to actually uh, monitor, in a sense, that, that constant, in a sense, it's a, it's a constant uh, discernment, you could say, or judgment or criticism or fear or attachment. And that we have to learn how to work with that uh, but long before and, and actually work with it continuously in a, in a way that, uh, that we can see its 
so clearly how it works in us. And it's to me, why I love meditation is it, I have a very investigative process. I'm, I have a lot of energy, and I'm actually a very happy person. A very, I have a lot of joy. But at the same time, the idea of, of having some, you know, to balance that out, the stabilizing factors of tranquility and uh, concentration and equanimity, I have to um, make that in the society because that's not uh, so available. You know, I think maybe 100 years ago before cars and you know, telephones and email and all this stuff, um, beepers and bunkers and whatever, there was a, a time when life was so much simpler. And maybe there was a sense of tranquility in the uh, farming community in the sense of, of that period. But we live in a very... It's just, I guess, speedy time, you could say. And so we need to complement that. And I think what's so beautiful about the practice is that it brings this stabilization. And that stabilization is some tranquility and some concentration and some equanimity that then uh, can balance out these other factors. And it's why I I love sitting, uh, because it stabilizes me. And the stabilizing, I can look more at the subtle of how I'm attached, how I'm afraid, you know. It's very uh, revealing to me. It gives me a lot of insight into how I operate. So I I think there's a few people, a few, that uh, could simply look directly at the mind and be free. Uh, I think that's great. But they are very rare creatures. And what's more common for the rest is that somehow uh, a person has to find this sense of stability so they can look at the details and be quite precise on how things work. And not from an intellectual point of view, but from uh, really, for me, it's, it's a wholeness. It means that one is completely in your body. I mean, in, completely embodied, that you, one is aware of the whole process as mind. So the, in a sense, the body is mind uh, from this viewpoint. And that by being there, one can recognize thoughts and feelings. And, um, and there, you have to be quite, it's happening so fast that uh, you have to uh, be able to be there very, very uh, quickly. And that takes, in some way, a slowing down uh, the the process. Now you don't want to get caught in where that becomes, in a sense, that you're you're just exchanging that for something else, and, and that's the danger of it, where you become uh, so caught up in that process, because it's all it's all made up, you know. But that, that you have a better chance by slowing it down, from what I see, mm. what I experience. So somehow there's. Sitting creates the conditions in which it's right. easier to recognize what you're calling primordial awareness. Correct. Yeah. This has been a presentation of BuddhistGeeks.com, copyright 2007. Music in this podcast provided by c for chaos For more great music and writing, visit his blog at www.c4chaos.com.
Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.